Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Here we go. The transfer window is finally clicking into gear with a number of big deals looking imminent and we're going to keep you in the loop with everything going on this transfer window on Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about Arsenal's attempts to make the world's most expensive paella with their latest multi-million pound bid for Rice. Yeah, got what it deserved that. It could be that a deal is about to be done for the England and West Ham midfielder. Could be about to reach a conclusion there. Also, Big Ange has his first signing as Tottenham Hotspur's boss, beating Newcastle to the capture of James Madison for £40 million. Is that money well spent? A load of other transfer news to get stuck into in a bit as well, including the future of the England captain Harry Kane. Also to talk at the moment about sports washing in relation to the Saudi league and the number of players going out there. But I don't know about you, but I'm not really sure what the term sports washing means. It's branded about a lot on social media, usually as an insult. And I think the assumption is it's really just a expensive form of PR, but there's much more to it to that. And on today's podcast, we're going to be speaking to Richard Gillis from the Sports Business Podcast, unofficial partner, to get an exact idea of what it is, how it works, the intentions of the Saudi League, and should we be concerned about it. To do all that today on the podcast, I'm Jim, by the way. We've got Marley Anderson, Joel Tudor. How you doing, boys? Hello. Yeah, not bad. We're good, we're good. Not fans of the Declan Rice paler joke? It no. felt <laughs> it was paused. It was too much of a pause, Jim. I didn't even know what that was. What was I thought. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't know whether that meant it was so smooth or whether I was no. Just, I think it just I, means it was bad. It's yeah. one of those jokes that probably needs explaining. It's like a kind of joke that you give and then you give a dictionary definition to kind of help it along the way. It, which it is might never just be me not listening to you. I've worked with you for four and a half years now. It's uh, it's, <laughs> it's getting it's getting boring now, Jim. All, right. <laughs> All right, right. Let's kick off with some transfer news. Anyway, we are going to start with Declan Rice. A transfer that has taken a few twists and turns over the last few days. Manchester City had an £85 million bid rejected. Arsenal came back with a third bid seemingly rattled by Manchester City's bid. That was £105 million, £100 million up front, then £5 million in add-ons. Man City have since backed out of the deal. They've clearly exceeded their valuation. And it looks to be that now Declan Rice is going to sign for Arsenal. Reports are that... West Ham have accepted the value of Arsenal's bid, but not the terms because they want the structure changed in terms of how quickly that £100 million initial fee is paid. We saw it with Nicolas Pepe when Arsenal <laughs> signed him. They paid the £75 million quid, I think it was, over five years or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> I think they might still be paying it. Yeah, yeah, well, they probably are. Yeah, well, they would be. Um, West Ham want more of that £100 million up front than Arsenal are currently offering. But it looks like Arsenal are going to get their man. And I think the money that Arsenal have paid, that £105 million quid, Marley, just shows that he's key to Arteta's plans this season. Yeah, it looks like it. Um, I think they did need, if you're looking at one area where Arsenal need bodies, I think it's a bit of improvement in midfield. I think obviously they seem to be losing uh, Granite Xhaka. To uh, go back to Germany. I want to um, go out on a limb here and say, I think Declan Rice is an upgrade on Granite Jacker. I would agree, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so, you know, Rice holding down the midfield and you've got Odegaard and by the look of it, Havertz to come in and play in that other midfield role um, alongside the the creativity of Odegaard and the, uh, the more combative nature of Declan Rice. It seems like 
the the plan is there. Whether it'll work or not, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, because nothing's guaranteed. But Rice is going to make it to to the Champions League and and to a club where he can hopefully win trophies. That'll be his uh, his sort of remit. If that um, is the plan for the midfield three to yeah. have Havertz, Odegaard, Declan mm. Rice. That kind of limits Declan Rice in his attacking ability, doesn't it? Because that's the thing I think we've seen develop in Declan Rice's game over the last 18 months or so, his ability to take the ball off the back line and drive forward with it. And he's not getting the goals or the assists that maybe you'd expect him to as a top like top class midfielder. But certainly he's added to that through his game. But if he's playing with Havertz and Odegaard, surely his role is going to be sitting and protecting that back four. Yeah, I think I think what Rice does brilliantly like more than pretty much anyone else in the country is win the ball back and, and break it up and read the game um i feel like at, at west ham he was he could take it forward and, and take it on because there wasn't much else in west ham's midfield mm. it's like if you if you can't pass to paquetta what have you got like you've got to drive it out yourself and take your team up the pitch sometimes i think at arsenal when you look round and you've got um you know odegaard next year and havertz next year and then martinelli and saka on the wings uh, or whoever plays, you know, you've got way more there. Um, so I, th- I feel like if you're watching for England, he doesn't drive the ball forward for England too much. He doesn't keep possession that much. He tends to just win it and give it give it nice and easy to, to Bellingham or to, you know, Grealish or whoever's on the pitch with him. So I think it'll be more that role at Arsenal because there's simply better players around him. 100 million quid is the price tag, or 105 <laughs> of the add-ons are achieved, Joel. Is he worth that? That's the current British record is 100 million. It's what City played for Jack Grealish. So he's 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 matching that. He's not measuring matching the British transfer record, but the record for a British player. Is Declan Rice worth that 100 million pound price tag? No, everyone knows he isn't. And I think I'm what? so <laughs> I'm so over transfer fees now. Honestly, this is Manchester United fan bitter that his no. club didn't even put in any effort to You're get just the jealous. You didn't get Maguire and McTominay involved in the deal. Um, no, I mean when you look at all the transfer fees in the past that have been played paid for really good English plays has always been inflated. I mean, even when Man United bought Wayne Rooney from Everton when he was only, what, 17, 18, that was a huge fee to pay for someone back in, what, 2004. So it's not like it's any news that this is a huge deal because, I mean, he's one of the best English midfielders. He's just won a European Cup, obviously not the, the you know the top tier one, but he's coming in with a bit of prestige, just like Enzo Fernandez did with Chelsea. Because I'm pretty sure if Argentina didn't win the World Cup, Chelsea wouldn't have been paying 106 million for him. It's just when players start to get a big reputation and there starts to become bids and a bidding war, which is what happened with City and Arsenal, and I think Bayern Munich were kind of flirting around with potentially putting a bid in. Of course, you're going to get the price you want for your player, and I think West Ham in the end are the most happy party because they get 100 million. I still don't, I don't believe he's worth that, but I think for when you look at who it's more valuable to, I think for Man City, it's just another midfielder. But for Arsenal, I think he really moves the needle for them in terms of mm. how they are going to be next season because they had to rely so much on Xhaka and Partey and they weren't always available at all times for like disciplinary or injuries. But I think with Rice, you know, he's always available. He's a captain for his side. He's now going probably approaching into his peak and I do think he will transform that Arsenal midfield. Were you surprised that City did back out of that deal? Because, like you say, he's one of the strongest English players at the moment and Man City won all the best players in their club. But they've also got Rodri, they've got Kovacic who's just joined, 
They've got Calvin Phillips, who hasn't really been given a big chance at Man City yet. It feels like there's more to come from him if he stays at the club. So was it just that Rice was a nice to have, but ultimately was going to be surplus to requirements? I don't know, I'm in two minds, to be honest, because in one side, it feels like a bit of a spiteful play by Guardiola to try and just drive up the price so Arsenal have to pay a ridiculous amount. But on the other hand, I'd never really got it in the first place because now that Gundogan's gone, he's a way more diverse and dynamic number eight. And I don't really see Rice as that kind of player who's going to, you know, unlock a, a defence with a through ball. He seems like one who just keeps the play tidy. Obviously, he's a bit more box to box. But I think for City, they just need a more like flight replacement for Gundogan. I think they were mm. all linked to that. Uh, is it Vega, Vega from uh, Celta Vigo? Mm. I think he's way more of the profile that I was, I was expecting them to go for. So I don't know if it was some kind of power play to give them, I don't know, a false sense of security. Because in the past, it's happened where City have gone in for a lot of United targets like Carrie Maguire, Alexis Sanchez. Uh, I think they might have been interested in Fred. and they it drove Fred, yeah. yeah, it drove up the price a ridiculous but amount. they don't get involved in bidding wars, City. That's the thing, yeah, isn't it? They have a price in their head and they go, that's the valuation. And if it goes above that, it's like it's the way you should go into an auction ultimately. If you're buying a house or a table or whatever it is or a football player, you go in, you have your top valuation and you don't get drawn into it. And that's what happened with Sanchez and Maguire mm. and now Declan Rice, it seems. And that's yeah. why they're in the position they're in because they're just so well run. They usually you know get it, right? Yeah, mm. yeah, every single time. The, the only one they've p- potentially got wrong is uh, apparently Van Dyke when they were in for Van Dyke from Southampton. And, um, and he went even, to Liverpool. Even still, they won everything while he went back. Dag was a little done too much damage, is it? Exactly, <laughs> but yeah. I think I think the, the biggest um, advantage City have is the fact that whoever comes into a Guardiola side is going to improve. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who it is. I think if Fred would have gone to City, he might have looked absolute world beater in that midfield, and Sanchez might have looked like a world beater in that attack. We don't know, but they always have a plan B, plan C, plan Z. And they know that they're not desperate because they have a super talented side and a super talented coach. Whereas I think for Arsenal, they needed this transfer almost as a bit of a statement as well. They might see it as some kind of psychological victory. I don't know. But I just think for Arsenal, it's way more vital for them than it would have been for City, to be honest. Let's move our attention across London to Tottenham Hotspurs. James Madison has been confirmed by Spurs for £40 million. We're going to get that into that in a little bit because maybe slightly more significant for Tottenham fans is the potential departure of Harry Kane subject to an £80 million bid from Bayern Munich reported today. A first bid of £60 million has been turned down already. One year left on his Spurs deal. Tottenham have rejected the initial bid. There's no news on the second bid yet. But even with so little time left on his deal at Spurs, one year left, it feels like £60 million, £70 million, £80 million. The valuations are off for Bayern at the moment, aren't they? Given where he is in terms of his goal scoring and also his significance to Spurs and what it will need to leverage him away from that football club? Um, I think, I don't know. I think on the basis of it, like his, his talent is worth more than 60 million or 70 million or whatever it is. But the sort of stage of, of his career um, and the temptation to sell him to a club outside the Premier League, I think everything sort of when it all, you consider everything, I think it's a fair bid. Um, because Bayern, you know, Bayern are not. They're similar to City. They have a price, and they they won't go. They won't go mad for for players. They don't spend ridiculous amounts on on players. They just signed the the Korean fella from Napoli, aren't they? For his his asking price, his uh, his release clause, even so, it was like that's the price. Um, I feel like they they will walk away if if things are getting daft, and I feel like we've they've they've been clever with here because 
they've used the temptation of Champions League and guaranteed trophies uh, combined with the fact that you're not selling him to a direct Premier League rival. Mm. And they've, I, they probably know he's worth 100 million, but they've gone, well, because of those two factors, and then you consider a year left on his contract as well. There's three factors that probably drive the price down by at least 10 million each. And they've probably gone 60 or 70, you know, that'll... That that's fair. We can we can take that. Do you think that's satisfying enough though for Kane to win a Bundesliga? It's almost like a it's prerequisite, though, isn't it? He'd like it's like a prerequisite. Though, going to walking football by. five aside at the moment, I'm sure Kane would be appreciating that if he's <laughs> got something to put in his trophy cabinet. <laughs> but they've won it 11 years on the bounce. Is is that even a challenge? Really, I'd rather I'd rather stay at Spurs. Not Would a bad you? chance of winning the pre- the Champions Cham- League, though. Potentially with him in, with him up front, I think they they could really push. Mm. There's different views on this at the moment as to whether he's even going to go. Like Build in Germany, the newspaper out there has reported that Harry Kane has agreed personal terms, so he's ready to go. No Whereas chance. in the UK, <laughs> no, Harry Redknapp saying he's not going anywhere. <laughs> he's saying he's, he's just built he's just built a house. He's not going anywhere. He's not taking his family away from him. He's been I mean, he's been down Camden Camden Market and got a curry verse that's what's happened <laughs> yeah. and Bill have gone that, that'll do for two us equals seven yeah, <laughs> yeah. no I, I don't I honestly have no idea how this is going to play out but if I had to put money on it I would say he stays at Spurs is it a, and he misses the boat again he's got he misses more boats than a flipping is it Harry Kane's choice or is it Uncle Spurs Albert off because I mean we, we saw I think pretty much Harry, Harry Kane was ready to go to Man City yeah. Last season, last, year, last yeah. window, and it just didn't happen. Daniel Levy, Levy kind of blocked it. This time round, I can't see Daniel Levy letting Harry Kane leave on a free next summer. I think he's got too much of an eye on his bank balance to let him go for a free. And that, at the moment, that's the choice. Sell him now, let him go on a free. Yeah, but it's Daniel, but, Daniel Levy versus his own ego, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But it's got to be, it's, surely for him it's got to be, right, you sign a new contract... Or we sell you. But then he's also getting Harry Kane for another season, which is worth his weight in gold as but well. But I think, if anything, Daniel Levy has proven he doesn't really care what happens on the pitch at Tottenham. As long as True. the bank's balance is ticking over and the fans are coming in and they're getting the TV money and all that stuff, he is happy. It doesn't need to be about winning trophies. I don't... I think, personally, it's like what Marley said. I think his reputation and the way he sees himself and the, the way he wants to be perceived by Spurs fans, I don't want to... I don't think he would want to take 70, 80 million instead of having him for another season under the new manager, uh, trying to like go for it again the next season. I think it's worth just keeping him for another season. He'll probably get 15, 20 goals, even though his eye will be on other things. Okay, granted. Mm. But how the hell do you replace that? I, I don't, I, because if he leaves now, the striker market at the moment is tough in terms of who you can get everywhere everyone's 100 million plus for that's a top was, top quality that's what one. I was going to say 60 so like, million's not that much you know, it's not it gets you half of a striker or like a, a young one like the Hoyland from uh, Atalanta who's not proven at all exactly. so in, in when you look at it in that way it's actually not 60, 70 million peanuts in terms of striker valuations uh, so I think for Levy he'll probably think right I'll keep you for another season and then when it's all said and done next year Spurs fans will probably Accept the fate, which is that he saw out his contract, didn't want to sign a new one. He's fought off uh, all the Premier League interest, but it would be a tough thing for him to see him then go to, let's say, United next summer or City mm-hmm. next summer, because that would be a bit of a kick in the 
kicking the front teeth, I think. Lots of connections with Manchester United as a potential suitor mm. for Harry Kane. No bid as yet, but it does seem like everything's a bit all over the place at Manchester United in every <laughs> aspect at the moment. We'll talk a little bit more about Manchester United's transfer policy, who may be staying, who may be going in a little bit. But first, what is sports washing? What's going on with the Saudi League? And should we as football fans be cautious of the huge investment of the Gulf states in English football over the last few years? All those questions are answered on today's podcast. Niall is catching up with Richard Gillis of the Unofficial Partner Podcast next. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Now, one of the key narratives in this summer's transfer window so far has been the mass exodus of players from the Premier League, in particular Chelsea, to the Saudi Pro League. Chelsea have seen a number of players leave for the Middle East, whilst eyebrows were also raised when Wolves' Ruben Neves decided to swap England for Saudi Arabia at what you might say is the peak of his career. That deal, of course, is on top of moves for one of sports global icons, Cristiano Ronaldo, who's been playing in the country for the last year, plus the investment in Newcastle United, heavyweight boxing and even wrestling from the Saudi state over the last few years. But where exactly does the Saudi influence fit into modern football and why are there so many players making the switch? Niall from Football Social Daily caught up with Richard Gillis from the Unofficial Partner podcast to find out more. Football Social Daily. We hear this term all the time when it comes to professional sport, often in tandem with countries from the Middle East, and that is sports washing. But some people still aren't entirely sure what sports washing actually is. So could you give us an indication to those who maybe aren't so sure what it is? It's complicated, let's put it that way. And you know, at its you know, basic level, it's it's the accusation that a regime is investing in a sports property, whether that's a football club or a league or players, with the intention of cleansing their international reputation. So that would be a sort of bog standard dictionary de- definition if one you know ever existed. So in the same way as we're very familiar with things like greenwashing, where you've got companies who are attempting to tell one story whilst do another. So the difference, that gap between what people say they're doing and what they actually do in an environmental, sustainable level that, you know, we, we accuse them of greenwashing. This is the same idea, but aimed at the sort of political use of major sport to change people's perceptions and change people's minds about, in this case, Saudi. So with that in mind then, do we need to also understand exactly where Saudi sit right now in terms of geopolitics? There's a war in the Middle East. It is quite complicated, as you mentioned. Do you think that that needs to be taken into consideration before we start talking about sports washing and these players going over to Saudi Arabia? Yeah, and this is where it does get very difficult. You're entering into the the sort of realm of international relations and international politics and there are never 
or very rarely are there perfect allies and allies become enemies and vice versa depending on the situation so if even if you run over the last week saudi's international uh, power has increased as a result of the potential mutiny in russia so a lot of the commentary has been countries are wanting to wean themselves off natural resources from russia what are the alternatives available and it's saudi qatar it's Abu Dhabi, it's decisions then that get made that are never perfect. They're never perfect yes or no. There's grey area. There are compromises that we have to make as a country. And this is what, you know, governments wrestle with all the time. There is a quite often the debate when it reaches sport, it's a very black and white, good and bad analogy. But we know real life isn't like that. So Saudi occupy that space to a degree in that they are both a incredibly important strategic partner for for Britain and America as a massive energy supplier and they exert enormous influence because of that and they exert that influence in lots of different ways they they exert it at a political level they talk to prime ministers and presidents and influence decisions that get made at the very top end of that they also influence businesses because they invest enormous amounts of money around the world in lots of different companies things that we're very familiar with that we buy every day but we don't think about the the sort of financial um, background to those products and now we're, we're talking about sport and I think probably the difference is that that you know certainly the audience of this podcast and it's sport is very very popular and it takes those issues and ignites them it sets you know it sort of really does change the nature of the conversation because it puts it onto the back pages we're talking about sports washing what's happened actually over the last couple of years around newcastle around live golf is that the word saudi is almost like a naming right that now is associated with other words like human rights barbarity and all of those those words get attached to the conversation so the margin call is okay there is the substance of this thing they are buying in in a huge way into sport for strategic reasons the analogy being okay it's a bit like a sort of money laundering story you take money that's dirty money it's the sort of you know the ozarks or breaking bad you take money that's that's made from drugs you wash it through the london financial system or the estate, you know, the the real estate, you buy buildings and the money gradually changes from dirty to clean. So that's the story that you want to impose on a nation. Now, I, there is, I think personally, the story, that analogy breaks down. It's not quite like laundering money, but that's essentially the story that's being told. And that's why we're using the word sports washing. Well, that's what I was going to come on to, because we always say on this podcast, Football Social Daily, that sport and politics are linked. You always hear people say, particularly on social media, that you should keep politics out of football. But we are of the belief on this show that you just can't do it. And I think that's evidenced in this conversation that we're having right now. So if we rewind 20 years to 2003, Roman Abramovich buys Chelsea, propels them to great success, invests significant capital into the club, and then just under two decades on, the Ukraine invasion happens and all of a sudden it all comes spilling out just how much Russian money there is in the UK. 
And with the Newcastle ownership saga with the Saudis being so controversial, as you've already referenced, is it cynical of me to think that maybe Saudi Arabia are trying or perhaps looking to follow a similar route with their assets in sport in this country? What, as Abramovich? Yeah, as in we learned after the Abramovich situation how much Russian money there was in UK business. And it was almost like it was sort of this open secret, but it was still a secret to the general sports fan like myself. Do you think that, that we're starting to see the seeds of that now from a Saudi perspective or has that already been sown long ago? No, I think you're right. So if you look at Abramovich, there's a really interesting case study in this is that actually he became very, very famous because he owned Chelsea. And the same thing is happening. There is a, you know, the question again, do you want to raise your profile if you are a very rich person like Abramovich or you're a massive country with huge resources but with a reputation um let's call it challenge the do you there are two routes one you become very very you you hide you say right the last thing i'm going to do is buy a football club because that will propel me to the back pages and it it takes it from a fairly obscure political business sort of economic conversation which is very narrow and and um quite dry and it makes it it tangible to millions and millions of people and people suddenly have a view on Roman Abramovich they probably they certainly know who he is they start to look at where the money came from and they start to have judgments as to whether that money should buy a football club now the obvious caveat to that is that if you're a Chelsea fan a lot of Chelsea fans didn't give a toss where the money came from in the same way as Newcastle fans not all of them by any means but a large proportion are saying, look, we had enough of Mike Ashley and we just wanted the new money and we don't, you know, we don't really care. Yeah, their argument would be as fans, you know, we're not we're not expected to be sort of moral sentinels for the for the ownership of the football club. You know, the general season ticket holder at St. James's Park would probably argue that it's not my business where the money comes from, which, again, kind of weighs us into another issue in terms of those waters. Yeah, that's an evasion, though, isn't it? I mean, we've all got personal agency. You can buy a season ticket. You don't have to. You don't have to buy a replica shirt. You don't, you know, all of the football clubs are important, but they're not important at the same time. And it's what we're seeing is that, and particularly at the top end of sport, which is where, what we're talking about here, is is sports teams and, and clubs and leagues have moved from um, or moved to become a financial asset class in their own right. And this is obviously an American trend of franchise valuations. And we're seeing, you know, at the moment, should Qatar buy Man United? You know, there's the ethical question, but there's also how much are they going to pay and what's it worth and how is it going to grow? And if you look at the story of Liverpool and Chelsea, you know, we're seeing in the case of a decade, Liverpool has gone from 300 million to, you know, what's it value today? Five, three billion. So as a financial asset there is enormous value in buying famous football clubs. Um, now, the argument quite often when you get back to Saudi is, and, and PIF, you know, the, the uh, investment fund that's, that is at the front of it, is that this is a business decision. This is a, there is a business rationale behind this, as well as the reputational work that, we're, you know, that they're hoping that the football club and or golf tournament or whatever will do 
to the country's uh, regime. Okay, so Saudi Arabia have been making their presence felt in Western sport for a few years now. More attention than ever has come their way since that Newcastle investment. And now, because Saudi clubs have signed the likes of Ronaldo and N'Golo Conte and Ruben Neves and others from Premier League clubs, that attention has increased once more. So why all of a sudden are Saudi clubs now buying up top flight talent? Why not two years ago, five years ago? Yeah, it's a good question. Very few people or organisations have a 10-year plan, have a 20-year view, because politicians certainly don't. They're on a they're on a, a sort of electoral cycle of three or five years. Shareholders don't. Businesses generally don't. They are almost quarterly driven, so they're making decisions for, on a short-term basis. So when you then span back and say, right, who is capable of making a decision of of building something over a 20 year period accepting that losses are going to be made over a 10 to 15 to 20 year period that is a really big decision and it's probably only regimes and a handful of billionaires who will want to take that bet they're doing it for other reasons so if a premier league in saudi is one tool if you think okay let's build rather than splurging money on other people's assets let's create our own asset and build value in that rather than renting other people's ip and reputation and if we think the long-term bet on global football having just come off a qatar world cup where you know the the world's eyes came to Qatar, which is obviously a Saudi rival in the in the area. You could easily see, you know, if we were having a sort of brainstorm session, you would say, right, okay, let's create our own Premier League. Let's pay these players. The players will come. What you know, the price just has to be enormous. And as you as you mentioned, they've all been at the end of their career. Like Messi going to MLS has gone the other way, but Neves is the seems to be the sort of exception to that a few years ago you'll remember this was this we would be having this conversation about china and china's potential to build a domestic super league and build club assets club you know uh build up players sign up players whatever happened to oscar by the way i don't know that he's ever been seen so and and the other i mean if you wanted to sort of a lesson from the china experience is that these things can they can stop almost as quickly as they start. So if, you know, dictatorships can make very, very fast decisions <laughs> and some of them can be, you know, that China got out of golf, they, you know, in a, in a quite a significant way. They, that was going to be the future of golf was going to be, you know, courses throughout the, the country. And then they suddenly turned around and said, no, we don't, we don't like that anymore. Football, the same. They were all in. Cameron and, you know, President Z with Aguera, Man City, all the all of that. It's only a few years ago. That was the sort of supposed to be the tipping point into a China Super League, the next superpower in in global football. Now we don't talk about that anymore. So now we're talking about Saudi. So that is a caveat. But having said that, I think that as mentioned there, um, it, it ain't many people who can start to say, right, okay, let's let's build something over over the next ten years, twenty years, and that's what they're doing far beyond sport and they're building up assets that are 
you know, looking at changing and, and, and altering the nature and the makeup and the mix of the Saudi economy, because obviously it's in, you know, just dominated by natural resources, oil and gas. So um, they're trying to change that little by little, and it will take decades. It's not going to be something that will take two or three years. So that make, you know, if you pursue that as a, as a line, then, okay, this is around to stay, and they're going to be picking off the best players in Europe over over you know the next few years richard it's been fascinating to chat with you about this no doubt more similar topics discussed when it comes to sport and business on the unofficial partner podcast absolutely yeah so if your listeners are interested in the business of football then drop along unofficial partner you'll find us wherever you find podcasts and you'll also find us on the sports social network Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Fascinating stuff about the Saudi League and sports washing from Richard Gillis and Niall. If you want to find the unofficial partner podcast, you can do so on the Sports Social Podcast Network, sport-social.co.uk. It's one of those podcasts that if you want to know more about the business of football and the business of sport, it is a must listen. And we're going to be talking more business now. We're going back to transfer gossip. We've already spoken about Harry Kane's potential departure from Spurs. Let's talk about one of the players potentially coming in because Spurs have dominated the transfer chat for the last 24 hours or so. And James Madison is the player they've managed to get in. 40 million quid from Leicester, perhaps 20 million less than they would have got had Leicester stayed up. Madison scored 10 goals for the Foxes last season. That seems like a decent bit of business, that Joel. James Madison, 40 million quid, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's a... It's probably one of the more shrewd transfers I've seen Tottenham make in a pretty long time, to be honest, considering how poor their recruitment's been in the last few years. I genuinely thought that he would have gone to Newcastle. I thought he would have been really good for squad depth, but I think he may have looked at it as he may get more opportunities in the first team, potentially, as in he will be moulded around that midfield. uh, I think you've mispronounced the word money there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what, what, do you know? Newcastle. Do you know honestly? No, that yeah. The reason why Newcastle pulled out the deal, his I didn't realize this. His wage at Leicester was 170 grand a week. Ooh. That is 50 grand more than anyone gets paid at Newcastle. So yeah. if we were to buy him, obviously we can afford the 40 million, of course. But the reason he's gone to Spurs is because Newcastle went. We're not. We can't. That that completely just murders our wage structure. Wage structure. Whereas at, at Spurs, they've got Kane on 300. Um, Son on 300 Larice was on I think 250 mm. so 170 or slightly more is nothing nothing to them really because they already pay that their wage structure is already in place well, doesn't he whereas always, he'd be getting paid 50 grand a week more than Bruno doesn't he also so fit in better but I agree with Joel that he kind of fits into what Spurs needs more than what Newcastle needs potentially He. it depends on what Ange wants to do we don't we, none of us have seen him play at Spurs, yeah, we don't know whether he's going to go four three three like he did at um, at Celtic or three four three like he's, he's you know he's already got all the specialist wing backs there mm. to uh, to play with. So you never know. But yeah, on the on the basis of it, I I agree he does fit their system a bit better because if he plays behind Kane in a bit of a free role like um, Son did uh, and Kulusevski did last season, then he, he fits there. Um, and if they're playing at four three three, he probably fits in centre midfield there better than he would at Newcastle because we've got players who play there already. Um, 
they might not be as good as Madison. They that's open to to debate. But the fact is, we already had players like him at the club, and that was always my my issue with the move. Really, hmm. he's got great output though. I think that's what Tottenham need. Because when you looked at Son last year, he went completely off the boil. Hmm. Kane yeah. was the one who propped up their whole attack. Uh, and to have someone who, you know, in a really struggling, obviously relegated Leicester side, to get 10 goals and nine assists in 30 games is massive. Do you think he's proven himself enough to be a surefire thing in a top six side, coming through Norwich and Leicester, very different teams mm. to playing for the likes of Spurs? Yeah, I mean, his statistics say, uh, considering how struggling Leicester have been in the last year, you know, he gets double digits in assists and goals every single season. And you would think having Harry Kane in front of him would probably end up pushing those stats even further mm. uh, to a ceiling because he's only 26. He's still got, I think, the best bulk of his career. But if... Uh, no, not if he goes in Rich Allison. His assist might take a real, real big dip. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I think... I forgot Rich Allison was even at the so, yeah, so, No, we did One we goal last season. So, yeah, I think he's banking on Kane, to be honest, to remain. But I just think it's... When you see what Spurs have been buying in the last few years, you know, and Dombele, Lo Celso paying these kind of fees this is the more shrewd one where you, you know what you're going to get I'd be very very surprised if he came in and didn't produce Going the other way potentially leaving Spurs to Leicester could be Harry Winks for £10 million there's a player whose star has fallen in recent seasons also Connor Cody could be heading to Leicester they're decent acquisitions I mean it's the kind of stuff they should have maybe been doing last season to stay up rather than this season but if mm. they continue in that vein you'd fancy them to come straight back to the Premier League wouldn't you Marley? I think so, yeah. I don't think they've done anything wrong so far. Um, they've obviously sold Tielemans, sold Madison, and they're getting in winks. Cody's a, a leader. Um, you know, they probably just need to sort out a couple more things like goalkeeper and, and maybe maybe another striker. But Maresca is unproven, but he's came through the city coaching. He's not going to be a bad coach. Um, I think I think they'll come straight back, to be honest. Um, it is interesting that... Uh, Everton turned down the chance to sign Cody for four million, um, and Leicester have gone in and paid seven and a half for him, which is kind of strange. Mm. So, but Wolves are laughing all the way to the bank with that one because they've made three and a half million, and Leicester don't care anyway because they've just got forty from Madison. So, and they've got four hundred grand off the week off the wage books in uh, in Madison and um, Tielemans going as well. So, everyone wins really, and Harry Winks is a decent player at Championship level, especially, um, and he'll he'll do. He'll do fine in that Tielemans role, I think. And I think we'll be seeing Leicester sooner rather than later, to be honest. Speaking of goalkeeper decisions, there's a big one to be made at Manchester United. David De Gea has been the subject of a lot of speculation. Will he stay? Will he go? Apparently there was a contract extension on the table at Manchester United. They then withdrew the contract extension, reduced the value of it, offered it back again. I mean, he's currently, apparently, I didn't know this, top earner in the Premier League is David De Gea. £375,000 a week. I thought Haaland was on slightly more than that, but apparently he is the top earner in the Premier League. And if he's not going to be first choice, obviously Manchester United don't want to be forking that out for their second choice goalkeeper. I mean, does this kind of hint at Manchester United's issue with recruitment, I guess, Joel? Because even if it's the right call and United do need a new keeper or they want to reduce David De Gea's wages, the disorganisation amongst the club just sends bad messages to potential new recruits coming in. Yeah, just welcome to Manchester United clown football <laughs> club because the, what happens upstairs baffles me every single summer. 
I mean, just this situation on its own has been really disappointing, I think, for a lot of United fans because it's the fact that it's been given, he's, given, he's been given a contract extension, he's signed it, and then they've delayed, and then they want to give him a new one on lower terms. Says to me that there's a lot of disagreement upstairs about what should be happening mm. and what shouldn't be happening. I'd be straight out the door if I was David De Gea at that point. Oh yeah, there's way. no respect like, whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. You want to feel like you're wanted by the club and clearly if he's getting messed around with a contract, today's what, the 29th of June, his contract expires in a couple of days time and they're still messing around with terms and whether they actually want him at the club or not. I genuinely don't understand who the decision maker is. Is it John Murta? Is it Ten Hag who's going to have mm. the final say on whether he wants him or not? This is the the confusion that we all have. And then you obviously have the ownership situation, which is 100% influencing every decision that's being made right now. So it's at the moment, everything feels up in the air and like there's no um, there's no leadership up, up at the top of who's making these decisions. But like you said, I think for David De Gea, considering he spent over a decade at the club and had some really incredible seasons, obviously the last couple of years haven't been his finest, but... He has been a real, real servant for the club, especially during those years where we were absolutely turbulent under Ten Hag and uh, Moyes and all these different managers who came and went. He was one of our one of our standout players. So for United to be playing with his future two days before the win, uh, his contract expires to me is such a bad taste. Well, it's just lack of respect. There's a suggestion that it's um, it's kind of Eric Ten Hag who's made made the decision in terms of r- retracting the contract because he's not the goalkeeper that Eric Ten Hag wants. The club mm. wanted to hang on to him, given that extension. But then Eric Ten Hag put his foot down and went, look, no, th- this isn't happening because I don't want that chunk of the budget to go on that player. That's a good thing, isn't it? That the manager manager is potentially taking control of the scenario. But it shouldn't have led up to this. No, surely it shouldn't it, have got it sh- there in the it first should, place. Surely it should have been happening before the season's finished where he says, that, that, like, David, this is your last season. We're not giving you a new contract. I think... There's been some kind of alteration upstairs where Ten Hag's been told you could potentially have a new keeper now, where some budget's been extended because there's talk of us potentially getting Onana from Inter Milan, Mm. which has been pretty strong in the last few days. I think that something's changed. He's been allowed to get him and now they've said, okay, well, we're not paying you the fee that uh, the money that we were going to give you in the last months. It's got to be lower than that. So I think for De Gea, in terms of pride, I would be leaving straight away because you can't be treated like that. As because he's a pretty much a club legend, isn't he? Twelve years at the club, um, and he, twelve he years today. Yeah, twelve wow. anniversary. That's, happy, happy that's anniversary. a really sour anniversary. <laughs> See you later. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Sixty quid a week. All right. That's a very, that's a very sour anniversary, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I think if if I was him, I, I would go. I think it's, it, I've always said he's been best for both parties. It, it he'll, makes be no ma- he'll be back to nicking donuts from service stations and wages <laughs> like that in no time. <laughs> Um, right, one more bit of gossip to deal with. In fact, we'll do a couple more. One, I think, is something we can chuck away straight away. The Spanish paper, Marsa, who I think have got a bit of a similar reputation to the Sun over here in terms of transfer news. They are claiming Liverpool are ready to rival Real Madrid in the signature of Kylian Mbappe from PSG. €300 million Euros on offer, reportedly. Any truth in that, do you think, Marley? No. Uh, given Liverpool's transfer, <laughs> they they pride history. themselves on being a bit yeah. stingy, don't they? Yeah. Oh, we don't pay top whack. The fans would have nothing left to mourn about if uh, if they went million. and spent three hundred million. They'd have to burn all their, uh, their net net spend banners that they hold up at matches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they've already got six strikers as well. Like they've got loads: Jota, Diaz, Nunes, Salah, Gakpo, 
Uh, and then Firmino's just gone, so five now. I mean, oh, only five. You know. where, have they, where have they plucked 300 million from by the way like, uh, do they know his contract expires next year uh, no idea no idea he's, Let's, going, he's going to Real Madrid and that's it yeah isn't everyone it? knows Let's there's, there's on. literally one destination for the guy alright final it. one I don't want to mention Moses Casido who is well, he, he was kind of being linked with a load of clubs as a hot prospect played really well for Brighton last season young loads of potential but as it stands Brighton haven't received any bids for him yet do you think there's a chance they might hang on to him next season, Marley? Or do you think it's only a matter of time before one of the big guns swoop in with a decent bid? Uh, someone will come in for him, I think. Um, they they said, I think Deserby himself said at the end of last season, like, I think he was asked about McAllister and he was like, yep, yeah, McAllister's uh, probably going to have played his last game for the club and Moises as well. You know, he's so they're expect. I think everyone's on the same page. He's definitely going to go. It's just a guess of where. Like Arsenal were linked with a bid, Chelsea as well. Uh, then there's recent talk of Man United, but I, I can't see that happening, to be honest. Um, so well, Manchester United have got some bigger fish to fry at the moment, haven't they? They're, they're looking at Mason Mount. They're going back in for him, trying to seal that. As you yeah. say, a goalkeeper's top of the shopping list. So it, yeah. it's just got to wait. Yeah, and I think um, <clears throat> once Chelsea figure out this little clear out they're having and, and sell all the have the little car boot sale to, to, Saudi. to Saudi Arabia <laughs> then uh, then they'll they'll be like all right now we've got the funds and the the space in the budget to to afford um Caicedo and I think he'll he'll end up there quite comfortably and 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 we'll see uh see Chelsea go on and try and make a, a success of someone they've signed from Brighton because it hasn't worked for Graham Potter or Cucurella so we'll have to see if it can uh, stick with Caicedo We'll leave it there for today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget to hit subscribe. We'll be back on Monday with a brand new episode. I think this weekend could be a busy one in the transfer league, so we'll get you up to date with everything that's happened. Make sure you've clicked subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. See you next time. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.